Amen, Chapel family. Man, it's good to see all of you out there, like, see you, like, even, even your lips and your chin and your, wow, you guys look fantastic. How You know, I know worship, it is primarily for an audience of one. It's, worship is for Jesus, but how many of you today would say, boy, I needed that worship today? Yeah, because I needed to go to the one that it's for. That's why we're here as a church family, to lean into Jesus, to worship him, to, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to help each other along. So glad that you guys are here. Uh, I think it's been uh, well over a year. Um, my car started having some issues, and uh, I, we haven't been able to figure it out what exactly is going on even to this date. Uh, there'd be times where I'd come out to my car and I'd go to turn it on and I mean, it'd just be nothing, you know, and you check the battery, you jump it, you know, nothing. So what is it? There'd be times where I'd be driving down the road and all of a sudden blinking lights would start flashing. Like usually if the light comes on and stays on that, you know, it means just check something at some point, but these were like boom, boom, boom. And there's like multiple, like four, five different Lights blinking at me, and I'm, you know, I'm calling roadside assistance. Should I even, should I pull the car over? Should I not even be driving this thing? What's going on? Uh, come to find out, there's some sort of electrical issue going on with my, my car. I've started to wonder, because I bought my car used, I, I've started to wonder, like, was my car one of those cars that was like this deep in water over on the East Coast or something at some point, and now all these issues are just popping up? And so once I realized, okay, there's an electrical deal, this is an electrical issue, I started thinking to myself, well, what do you do when you have a problem with anything that is electrical? I mean, you're, you're having a problem with your cell phone, you're having a problem with your computer, you're having a problem with your, uh, your, high, uh, your, your Wi-Fi, you're having a problem with your cable television. You call and you talk to any customer service rep, and what will they say? Have you unplugged it and plugged it back in. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, some of the most brilliant minds answer to our biggest quandaries is restart it. And so I thought to myself, well, how do I, how do I restart my car? How do, I, how do I unplug it and plug it back in when it's not an electrical car? Well, I discovered you, you just have to disconnect the battery. So no lie, because this continues to happen, and they can't figure out for sure what's going on with it. Uh, there's now a little wrench in my little left pouch of my driver's side door, and when I go out to my car and sometimes it just doesn't start, I just pop the hood, walk around, take my wrench out, unfasten one of the things that go to the battery, so that it's completely disconnected, just for a second, pull it away, pull it back in, walk back to my car. I'm a mechanic. I'm, I, mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm with friends, and they're like, what's wrong? What are you doing? Oh, no, it's not starting. I'm like, I got this. <laughs> now, here's, here, here's why I'm telling you that story. This weekend, we're launching into... A book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And, and this book is surrounded with so much misunderstanding, 
So many questions, so much imagery. And some of us, we've gotten an idea of what we think it means. Or or maybe somewhere along the lines, you know, somebody showed you a chart and so, okay, no, I got it. I got it. It's this, then this, then this, then this. And and we think that it's all about a chart or the future. Or, Or some of us, we've just completely avoided the book of Revelation. Like you go there in our old school handheld Bible, there's no notes in there because like we just avoid it. Like I don't know. Heck if I know. Like, I can't figure this out. This is so big. This is so misunderstood. I, you know, and who am I to, to decide what it actually is saying? And then I hear that it means this, but then something else happens in our, in our world and then go, well, that obviously wasn't what it meant. And then somebody else is telling me this is what it means. We need to unplug the power and do a reset. That's, what, that's our heart's desire, that over these next multiple weeks and even months that we're going to be journeying through the book of Revelation, we want to all start on the same page and just restart. Take away all of our preconceived notions of what we've thought that it means and what maybe somebody else has told us it means and come back to the heart of which John, the apostle, wrote this book, and the heart of Jesus himself, who is the one that gave the revelation. So many times we, we look at the book of Revelation like a, a puzzle to be you know, put together, and we just got to make sure we find all the right pieces and then make sure that we fit them in the appropriate way, or, or we think that the book of Revelation is like this mystic code to be deciphered. But what... <laughs> What if the book of Revelation is so much bigger than all these little details that we're trying to figure out? See, at the end of the day, as I read the book of Revelation from chapter 1 to the end, it's really three words. It's about Jesus. (laughs) The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. It's gaining a grander picture of Jesus, his love, his power, his authority, his holiness, his righteousness. It's all about Jesus. Is it about the future? Yes, but it's not just about the future. It's not just to give us some sort of date of when Jesus is going to return. It's also to speak to us in the here and now. And so we want to dive in together, but there's no way we're going to be able to make it through every bit of revelation and every question that you may have. And so we want to point you towards a resource page that um, some of our team members have put together. You go to our website, thechapel.family, backslash revelation-resources, okay? Snap a picture of that, you know, bookmark it on your... And and because maybe, listen, we're not going to be able to answer every question. Maybe you can find some of your questions answered there. These are reputable sources that our pastoral team has recommended. Um... Maybe you're going to dive deeper. You know, the whole re- part of the reason we're diving into this book is because our 2023 vision as a church is to grow deeper. Uh, and, and maybe you want to go deeper 
throughout the week in your own personal chair time with Jesus and you want to start studying the book of Revelation, reading along with us, or maybe your small group, you're going to start having conversations about that. So we hope that some of the resources here will be tools to help you in that journey. All right? But we're going to start that journey right here, uh, right now, in the book of Revelation. We've subtitled it, uh, Embrace the Wonder. There is some wonder, there is some mysteriousness to God, to his word. And either we can try to figure every detail out or we can run away from it because it's, it's, it's too much to try to ascertain or we can embrace, embrace the wonder of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Lord, help us to hit the restart. And would you, by your spirit, lead us into your truth? Help us to not get too tied up in the details. Help us to remember it's all about you, Jesus. So we lean into you for your guidance and for your help now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the very last book of your Bible. That's where it's at, the book of Revelation. If you want to turn there in your hard copy or you want to get on your phone or you want to follow along on the screens as well, let's begin, <coughs> excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice, it is a revelation given by Jesus and Jesus meant for it to come to the Apostle John and then for John to pass this revelation on and we'll see to who in just a few moments. Now, that word revelation that we just read in the verse is actually an English translation of a Greek word, apocalyptus. Now, that sounds a little bit more revelation-like, doesn't it? Apocalypse? Like, isn't that kind of what comes to mind, or at least what our world has kind of connected with Revelation? Apocalypse. Now, what, what, what pictures come to your mind? Maybe it's like, whoa, end of world, like you, you watch a sci-fi thriller or future events and like the decimation of all things. And is that what the book of Revelation is about? Well, it is about the future, but it's also about the here and now. Or maybe this is your picture, like doomsday preppers. Like this is, so this is an actual rendering of a $15.3 million bunker in Georgia that has been built 45 feet under the ground. It's actually two levels. You can't even see this, the second level. Can um, house 20 people. So if you're worried, you might need to get on the waiting list. And, you know, I know some people. Actually, I know somebody, I know somebody in Norwalk. It's got one of these, not, not quite as extreme. So at least I know where to go if the zombies do come, okay? Uh, listen, this person built this to protect himself from two things. One, a nuclear explosion or literally a zombie apocalypse. 
And sometimes that's how we interpret the book of Revelation. And yes, you know what? There's some wild stuff in there. We're going to look at, at some of these incredible creatures and things that occur in the book of Revelation. But again, the book of Revelation is not some code to be, you know, defracted. It's not some puzzle to be put together. It's not just about future end times events. It's all about Jesus. Now, John writes uh, to a specific audience. It says in verse 4, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, he says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. It's all about Jesus. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Now, I know you're wondering, but sevenfold spirit, what is that? I wondered too. You're going to have to wait. We're going to get to that as we move on in this, in this book study, okay? And here's what John goes on to say to these seven churches. He says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. He says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. He says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Interesting that, that Jesus would speak directly to John and give him a word in the midst of worship. He says, suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So Jesus is revealing himself to John in order to reveal himself to these seven churches. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we'll look closely at Jesus' specific words to each of those individual churches and then discover what that means and what we need to know uh, as the chapel, as a church here in 2021. What does Jesus want to say to us? But there's something that both John and the churches that he was writing to have in common. And this is so important for us to understand that the book is not just about future events. It was written to this group of people, this group of churches in the midst of what they were facing. And what were they facing? It's what John talks about in verse 9. I'm your brother and your partner in what? Suffering. This was a day and age when People were being persecuted for their faith, and there was much suffering going on in the midst of God's people, and especially these seven churches. And John writes to them and says, listen, I want you to know I've got a word from Jesus, a revelation from him for you, and guess what? I'm suffering too. Look at what it says. It says I, he says, I was exiled. That is, I was banished. Where? To the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and my testimony about Jesus. John got in trouble for telling people about Jesus. And they said, we got to get rid of this guy. Let's banish him to the island of Patmos. Now, some of you may, be, may or may not be familiar, but on Kelly's Island, there is an awesome Christian camp called Camp 
Patmos. I've been there. I've been there multiple times when, when I was working with our students. We took students to Camp Patmos. I got to teach for a week of high school ministry out at Camp Patmos. Um, our kids have been to Camp Patmos. Man, you talk about an awesome, fun place where kids, teenagers can go uh, eat tons of candy, sugar it up, not sleep all night, play all kinds of games, not be around mom and dad, total freedom, ride jet skis, uh, and learn about Jesus all at the same time, Camp Hammond is the place for you. <laughs> this has been a paid... No, 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 just kidding. <laughs> the thing is, the island of Patmos that John was talking about was no summer camp. It was a place of punishment. It was a place where criminals were sent One historian, Tacitus, a a Jewish historian, tells us some details about this place called Patmos. He says they would experience exhausting labor under the watchful eye of a Roman overseer who was ready to whip the person if they slacked off in the least. This is where John's at. They were given little food, uh, little clothing, And they would sleep on hard, flat surfaces with oftentimes no shelter at all. This is the place that John is writing from. It's the place in the middle of his own enduring of suffering and torture where John receives this revelation, where Jesus... So so Jesus will speak to us in the midst of worship, and he will also speak to us in the midst of suffering. And Jesus reveals himself in this grand vision to John for John then to write down and then to also share it with the seven churches. Uh, so you wonder, like, how did they, how did the words of Revelation speak to John and speak to the people in these seven churches where there was such suffering and persecution? Uh, Daniel Aiken is a seminary president, and he was having a conversation with one of his colleagues. And this colleague had been working on the mission field for many, many years amongst the persecuted church, working among people and churches in places where he wasn't allowed to say he was a Christian or that he was going there for mission work. You know, there are places in the world where, where they gather and they worship just like we worshiped. Only they whisper it. And they don't have drums and instruments and microphones. And not just because they can't afford them, but because if people hear them worshiping the authority, it will draw attention to them from the authorities and they can be arrested, even killed for their faith. Man, you guys, we don't realize the freedoms that we are blessed with. So as David Aiken is talking to this colleague, the colleague said, you know, the, the most interesting thing, I, I was with these, the, this church, and, and they're so persecuted. They, they suffer for their faith. And I asked them this question, what are your favorite books of the Bible? And immediately they responded, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. <laughs> and and this, this colleague said, 
I was so surprised by this. Like, so I asked more, like, tell me more. Tell me why, why Daniel and Revelation? And this was their response. They said, because the, these books, they teach us that in the end, our God wins. And you, know, you guys, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe, maybe you are facing persecution because of your faith. Maybe people have made fun of you being that the church girl. Maybe, maybe you've been overlooked for promotions at your workplace because you're a person of integrity and character because of your faith. And because you're trying to do the right thing, the best thing, you get overlooked and passed by and you're suffering or being persecuted because of your beliefs and your integrity and your character. Or maybe you're just suffering through something, some struggle, some disease, some relational strife. John was suffering. These seven churches, they were suffering. And Jesus wanted to reveal himself to them as he wants to reveal himself to you and to me. Not just for something that's going to happen in the future but to point to heaven and how we can embrace the truths of Jesus' lordship and righteousness and holiness and kingship right here and right now and how that ought to breathe hope into us. Because in the end, our God wins. It's all about Jesus. See, today we're just laying the groundwork because this is so important for us to understand in order for us to hit the reset button and to enter into this book in a whole new way. In his book, Reversed Thunder, Eugene Peterson, who's also the author of the transla uh, transliteration of the Bible called The Message. Maybe you've read it before. It's just said in a, in a fresh way, in a poetic way. It's good for our devotional reading. It, 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 it creates imagery of all of Scripture that sometimes just gives us a fresh look. Well, in his book, Reverse Thunder, uh, Eugene Peterson says that the book of Revelation should be read through uh, three different lenses because these were, so to speak, the hats that the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was wearing. That, that, that John is, yes, a pastor, a theologian, and a poet. And he's writing the book of Revelation to the seven churches wearing all three of those hats at times. So he begins to focus first on the, the, the pastor. Uh, that John is a pastor. Remember, John's writing to churches that are suffering and hurting and trying to breathe hope and comfort to encourage them to persevere to the end. And he's pastoring them, shepherding them, leading them. Eugene Peterson writes, We must be courteous to John himself by honoring the fundamental concerns that we discern in his life and that come to expression in the book of Revelation. The subject, he says, is God. Not cryptographic esoteric. It's not some cryptic code just to figure out. And his context, he says, is pastoral, not alarmist entertainment. Because this is so important as we dive into the book of Revelation to remember that it's written from a pastor, pastorally, 
to followers of Jesus to bring hope, encouragement, and life. But secondly, Eugene Peterson says, John was also writing as a theologian. That is, someone that studies who God is and then communicates more of who God is. He writes, the task of John is to demonstrate a gospel order in the chaos of evil. You know, it's interesting, in the beginning pages of John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. The, the, the Greek word there is logos, which means order. It's where we get the word time and order, rhythm. John is trying to order our thoughts about who God is, about who Jesus is. Again, and to arrange the elements of experience and reason so that they are perceived proportionally and coherently. What are those things that he's trying to help us get a grasp of, a theological understanding of? Sin, defeat, discouragement, prayer, praise, persecution, politics are all placed in relation to the realities of God and Christ. Holiness and healing, heaven and hell, victory and judgment, beginning and end. John is not just writing as a pastor to comfort. He's writing as a theologian to teach us, to help us go deeper in our faith, to get a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and where things are headed. But finally, and maybe most importantly, John also is writing as a poet. I love poetry. I can still remember, I think I was in sixth grade, and I memorized, they said we had to memorize poetry, and I wasn't really all that turned on to poetry yet, like, you know, wherefore art thou, art thou, or, you know. And so uh, I hit up Shel Silverstein, you know, where the sidewalk ends? You know the bear in the Frigidaire? There's a bear in our Frigidaire. He likes it because it's cold in there. With his seat in the meat and his face in the fish and his big hairy paws in the buttery dish. He's slurping the soda, he's licking the ice, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. <laughs> now, is there really a bear in the person's refrigerator? Probably not. And even if there was, is that how they would, I, my poem would be like, oh crap, bear. <laughs> It'd be like a haiku. Shoot, bear. Run fast. Run from bear. Todd runs from bear. <laughs> now, <laughs> the point of good poetry, though, it's to elicit motions. The point of good poetry is to, is to help us conjure pictures in our mind that might not be an exact representation of reality or what we're trying to say, but for the enjoyment and the beauty and the picture to elicit emotion and response and it's really really important for us to understand that much of what revelation shares with us is written in poetic form with all kinds of word pictures that aren't always necessarily meant to be figured out <laughs> look at what eugene peterson he says as poet John is using words to intensify our relationship with God. John wants to jar us out of lethargy. And man, some of us need to be jarred. We've gotten so comfortable and calm 
and, and Jesus is just this little add-on in our life. And, and John is trying to jar us to recognize who Jesus is for real and what that should mean to us today. He says to get us to live on alert, open our ears to the hard steel promises and commands of Christ, to banish boredom from the gospel, to lift up our heads and to enlarge our hearts. John is writing as a pastor to comfort and, and, and give us hope. John is writing as a theologian to challenge our thinking, to take us deeper to help us organize our thoughts about how God and his truth and Jesus relates to our everyday world and issues. But he's also writing as a poet. And, and what, if, what if John was writing so that the whole of Revelation would just, just give us this grand, beautiful power overwhelming, not even understandable picture of Jesus. Because it's all about him. So I'm so excited for us to journey over these next weeks and months together. And I have great confidence that Jesus is going to help walk us through as we hit the reset button and rediscover what this book is really all about. Our 14-year-old son, Carter, he is, man, he's been just digging into God's word. I mean, he is, he's putting me to shame. He, he is in it. He's reading night and morning. The other day, we're on our way to school and he pulls out his Bible and he's like, hey, dad, do you care if I read this? I'm like, yeah, I mean, we only got like, it's like a 10-minute drive. It's quick, but yeah. And then he's like, he's like, no, can I read it out loud? I was like, I mean, yeah, if you, I, we don't usually do that. I mean, like in the car and stuff, read out loud. But if that's, yeah, if you want to do it. He says, well, it says that we're supposed to. We're supposed to read it out loud. Don't you know that? I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, of course, that's what. And he was reading the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. His version said, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. God blesses the one who reads aloud these words of prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. Like Carter, just, he just like taught me something that in his 14-year-old mind, trying to like make sense of it all, um, trying to decide, is, is this what I really believe? How does all this make sense? Making his faith his own. He's just still got this childlike, take it at its word kind of approach that we really need to take. And Jesus' promise in the book of Revelation is that if we will read this aloud, and then we will obey it. He will bless us. He's going to bless our church. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless me. He's going to bless Carter. When we take his word seriously. It's all about Jesus. That's what verse 5 says in chapter 1. He, talking about Jesus, is the faithful witness to these things. 
He is the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. So all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. You know, the book of Revelation gives us a picture of Jesus as the conquering, reigning king. But these verses remind us before he sits on the throne as king, he first went to the cross as a suffering servant to pay for your sins and mine. So when you came in, you should have received a little communion cup, and I want to encourage you to pull that out right now. And if you didn't get one, just uh, you can go grab one at the table, or one of our team members would be happy to pass, pass them around. Just raise your hand. Somebody will get one for you. Thanks, team. If someone even wants to bring a basket down this way, I think we got a couple people. Awesome, awesome. Can someone, um, hey, Dale, can you grab that basket and run it forward up here? We've got a few more. Thanks so much. Or, oh, we got it. Okay. Awesome. Oh, Joe beat you to it. Okay. Anybody else need one? Sorry, we, we, we should have done a better job of making sure you guys saw those there and got those. So if, if you take the, the first thin, clear um, film there and pull that back, you come to a little wafer. And this wafer is a reminder of Jesus' body. You see, Jesus took on a human body and came into our world so that he could feel what we feel. In this book of Revelation, it's written to those that are suffering. And some of you, you are in a season of suffering. And when Jesus took on a human body, he suffered. It's to remind you, it's to remind me that Jesus knows. He gets it. He's been there. And he willingly gave up his body. Whipped, beaten, spit upon, and nailed with spikes to a wooden cross. This reminds us of that body given for us. Let's do this in remembrance of him. And if you pull back the second layer, a little tougher. You come to the juice. And the juice is a tangible reminder of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. That's what Revelation 1.5 says. All glory to him who has freed us from our sins. And how could he give us freedom? Only by shedding his very blood for us. He died for us. Nobody has ever loved you like Jesus. Nobody else ever gave their life so you could be forgiven and free. Jesus stretched out his hands and he gave up his life and his blood poured out. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Jesus, we thank you today for your sacrifice. Thank you, God, that we can look forward to the day 
when you will rule and reign and do away with sin forever. And thank you that until that day, your promise is that you will be with us. You will walk with us through suffering. That Jesus, you are holy and righteous and trustworthy and you are in control. In the end, our God wins. Help us to hold on to these truths. And would you lead us in the study of your word over these next weeks? For your sake and for the good of your church. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we want to finish by pronouncing over one another a benediction taken from Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. And so will you read this with me? Revelation 1, 4. Let's say it over one another. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. You're dismissed.